Man, it is good to be, like, there's exciting things happening at Carpenter's Way, and uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you. Uh, I'm thankful for Jason doing that. Thank you, man. Uh, we are going to be in, uh, <laughs> we're going to be in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We are continuing that. If you want to jump in on your scripture, your copy of that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and and I just, can, I, can I just tell you, I don't know if anybody else in here has a reoccurring nightmare. I didn't know that I was having a reoccurring nightmare, except I just, I, I had a dream a couple of days ago, and as I was explaining it to my wife, I realized this isn't the first time I've had this dream. It just keeps coming up over and over again. And maybe nightmare is too strong of a, of a word, but it goes something like this. Um, for some reason, I'm back in, in school, like college age, and uh, I have a really weird schedule. Um, I, can't, I can't keep up with it. And so it's like I have this one class that's every day of the week, and I have this other class that's every third day of the week, and I have this other class that only happens on, on the even days of the week, and then I have this other class that it's only when the wind blows out of the south, right? And so like the schedule is just so weird and confusing. And every time I'm having this dream, I'm, I'm sitting in this class, and I'm overwhelmed by, I don't know what's coming next. I don't, I don't know, like, did I study for that test? And I'm constantly walking into a room. I'm in the wrong room. Uh, people are laughing at me. I, I wasn't ready for the test. And, and I, I, I just fail everything. And I was just like, I'm done. I can't, I can't keep up. But the stress of what was to come and the uncertainty. And I'll wake up just feeling defeated. That's how I started in the morning that day. It's just like, I've, I've failed all of college in one night of sleep. Uh, and that, and that's, that's how it went. I think that this is probably just sort of my ADHD brain like, these are the things you need to watch out for, not knowing schedules, not knowing what's coming next. Um, maybe, maybe you have a worry. Maybe you have a stress that kind of, it pops up from time to time that it, 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 maybe it's not something that keeps you up at night, but it's something that is just constantly like on the forefront of your mind, protecting your family, providing for the needs. Uh, are you enough? Am I going to make it? And, and what I want to say to you is so much of the Sermon on the Mount when we began in chapter six is going to be super practical stuff. And where we're going to land today is that Jesus wants us to believe, and I believe that he's right. Jesus wants us to believe that when we have a right understanding of the kingdom, um, we are free to not worry so much. We are free to not be filled with so much anxiety and so much stress about what's coming next and just trust that our heavenly father who loves us a great deal is willing to provide for us. And so if, if you would, I, I would like to maybe kind of recap where we've been. Uh, we're on week seven of the Sermon on the Mount. So for six weeks, um, we looked at this idea of what the kingdom of God is. Jesus shows up on the scene. He's the rightful king. Matthew wants us to see that. And he shows up and he says, let me tell you what God's kingdom is like. And then we've been looking over the last six weeks of this, that God's kingdom is really backwards and upside down from everything else that we have. And when I read this, it's far more refreshing than the strongest man survives. It's far more refreshing than if, if, you're, if you're cynical enough, you're going to make it through, even though it's a bitter taste of surviving. When, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I hear things about God, God is going to bless those who are meek, those who are poor in spirit, those who go out of their way, those who are going to be salt and light, those who are going to do their life in such a way that when other people look at them, they will glorify your Father in heaven. That's so much better than I need to build my own kingdom and prove to you how great I am. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if you agree with me, um, but I, I'm liking the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that kingdom better than the way I see the rest of the world operating. 
At the end of chapter five, you may remember that there was all this talk about the heart, that um, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder, but I say to you that if you're angry with your brother that you're, you're guilty, you're in risk of being judged. And what we see in the end of chapter five is that God is very much more concerned with our private lives and how we act privately in the secretness of our heart than we would really like to admit. Um, we would like to believe, and maybe you would like to believe, that it's just good enough I didn't kill that guy. I was really mad at him. All I did was take the air out of his tires. No, that's not good either. Uh, that, that, it's, it's, that, that Jesus wants to address the problem of our heart, and our heart has a sickness to it that, that we begin to see healing through as we experience the kingdom, as we experience Christ. And so uh, before we went to crossover, we began chapter six and we looked at this idea of how, um, how we as kingdom citizens use our money and that, and that there's a practical way to use our money that honors him uh, and gets, gets things moving forward. And there's, there's a, a warning. The warning is that we don't flaunt our money and show how great we are because nobody likes a daddy warbucks uh, just flying around their money. So we're going to kind of begin with this, and I'm going to warn you, uh, I'm going to really cover the entire chapter six today. It's a warning, not because we're going to go long, but because we're going to go fast. Uh, And the reason for that is um, there's a lot in chapter six that we're going to, we we would want to just stop and spend a lot of time on. Um, But if we look at the whole of chapter six, as, as Jesus would have presented it, he would have presented it in one speaking moment. He wouldn't have stopped to explain, this is what I mean by fasting. He would just say it and keep going. When we look at all of it, I think that we see a common thread, a common theme that we miss when we go to the specific details. And so I want to grab that common theme, uh, and that is really found in verse 1 of chapter 6. Here's, here's what he says in, in verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The, the warning that Jesus begins with this chapter 6 is, um, be careful that you don't do your churchy things in a way that you're wanting other people to see you do your churchy things and applaud you for being super churchy. If you do that, you will actually get the reward that you seek, which is the applause of people, but you might miss out on a better reward. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then two weeks ago, when we first uh, read that verse, we went into the next few verses, which dealt with money and this idea that, that people sometimes give money to show like, look at me, look, look at me, help the peasants. And I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to meet them where they're at. I'm going to, I'm going to fling my money out. Like, oh, look, it's like a parade of coins and paper money, which would be really exciting. Can we just admit, like, I would like to be in there. Um, but, but Jesus would argue that the guy who just uses his money to show off how churchy he is, gives it's his reward. Everybody looks at him and is like, great, dude has a lot of money. But there is actually a better reward from the father if he would have just done it quietly and not let his left hand know what his right hand was doing and just helped somebody out. One, one conversation I had after crossover, um, we posted on Facebook some of the tasks that, that we did as a, as a church, right? Uh, and maybe, maybe you saw that post or different places that we went. And I felt like it was important to show like those of you who went that direction to know what the other four directions were doing. And those of you who couldn't make it to, to church that day uh, to know what we did collectively as a church. But there was one conversation that I had with someone who was like, that's, that's just you wanting to flaunt what, what you've done. This is just, this is just uh, how was it worded? It was a, it was a backhanded self-congratulatory response response, something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't, 
it really wasn't. I, I think that it is important for this side of the church to know how this side of the church worshiped, right? Um, and in all of that, what I was most proud of is that as I went to the locations and I visited with many of you, I was so proud with how people were just like, I don't care if Carpenter's Way gets credit. It's just, it's just I don't need you to even know my name. I'm just going to go serve. I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I'm going to love you. And, and we're going to get in. We're going to get out. And we're going to make the best of it. Um, what I saw was you guys doing exactly this secretly moving around in the community to, to serve the Lord and move it forward. But the warning is beware that you don't uh, practice your righteousness before other people. And so if you skip down to verse five, Jesus is going to start talking about praying. And praying, praying you know what praying means. Praying is, praying is when you uh, need to talk to God about something that is too big for you. Praying is when you need to check in with your creator and communicate with him. Praying is when you ask the God who has everything to help you with the problem that is too big for you praying. And Jesus is warning that there's a way to pray that uh, it's just for showing off. And you, you, Thanksgiving is coming up, so this is a warning. Uh, when you're asked to, to pray at Thanksgiving, don't pray in such a way as to, as to show off, right? Anybody else, like you're the, the go-to prayer during family mealtime? I know I, know I am. I, I know I, there have been times where I'm like outside having a pickup game of football and I'm, I'm, I'm ushered in uh, and the game has stopped and nobody, everybody's like with a plate of food begging for a chance to eat. It's like, we need to have Jesse come and pray for a meal. Uh, well, when you pray, uh, be sure you don't pray like these examples that Jesus gives. In verse five, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, Jesus is going to bring up hypocrites multiple times through here, actually at each one of these moments. And remember what we said a few weeks ago, a hypocrite is just the word actor. When we use the word hypocrite, we usually mean something like you say one thing, but you do another. You say all these nice churchy things, but then you talk about them behind their back. That's usually what we mean by hypocrite. It's kind of two-faced, talking out of both sides. When, when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, he's talking about people who put on a show for other people to try to influence them into thinking that they're better or godly or whatever. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love, what do they love to do? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They just go out in public and like just loudly pray. Uh, anybody watch Monty Python? No, nobody? Yes, you like that? The guy's praying for the holy hand grenade. Oh, heavenly father. And just lets out this like loud bellowing prayer so that everybody can see it. That's what these people are doing. They, they would go out in public and you're just minding your own business. You're looking at the apple to make sure it's not bruised in a certain way. And the guy behind you is loudly praying for the fruit or something. You're just like, dude, like calm down. Okay. It's, it's, it's not that serious. The synagogues that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What, what reward is implied here by Jesus? When someone goes and they pray in a public place or they do their churchy things in the super public way so as to be seen by others, they get the reward that they were looking for. That is the awareness of other people, that eyes are on them. He says, but I say in verse six, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The two choices are to get the public reward or the secret reward. Here's the real question. Uh, for, for those of you who, who take your faith seriously, and I think that's pretty much everybody in this room, um, is prayer effective if nobody else knows that you're praying? Can you pray for your family member and not tell them that you're praying for them and it still have a positive effect? Yes. 
See, see, the, the, the truth is, is that people who are like the hypocrites here, who just pray publicly for the public praise, they, they see prayer as this opportunity to show like how eloquent they are with their words, and they get everybody to look at them, and they get that praise. But, but for those of us who really believe that God hears our prayers, and that God really cares to hear the prayers of his saints, that God really cares to do these things that we're praying for, then we're satisfied in knowing that in the secretness of us going to our Father— he will handle it according to his will. The real question is, do we want to build our kingdom by showing how great we are religiously and churchily and righteously, or are we content building his kingdom secretly, quietly, moving the needle forward? When we pray, Jesus says, go to your secret place, go to the closet. I don't, I don't have a closet that I pray in, but I pray a lot in my car or, you know, quietly I'll go for a walk or something, but um, I don't, maybe, maybe I should build a closet if I can get somebody to help me with that. Um, Go in your secret place because your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's another way that people pray wrongly. He says in verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Uh, by the way, uh, unless, unless you have a Jewish background, that's all of us, we're all Gentiles. He says, be careful that you don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Um, I, I had a, a guy uh, that I used to go to church with. Uh, he, he knew I wasn't a hugger, but he, he had a problem with boundaries, and so he'd hug me a lot. And he had the roughest beard you could ever imagine. He, it, it would, he would like dig it into my chin, and I would, I would have like a, a little burn, like a little friction burn from him, because he would just like, that was how he hugged me. And this guy, he would, when he would pray, uh, they were very long prayers. And they, like, it was like, he was just kind of getting caught up on his prayer life. And like, he, he was asked to pray this one time in the middle. Maybe he hadn't prayed in like a month, but I talked to him about it. I'm like, you know, why do you pray so long? Because like the food's getting cold, man. And like, you know, and, and he told me, he said, he said, it's, it's not a show. He said, I just, I love talking to the Lord. You know, I just, I, I get into it. I kind of lose track of time. And that was his life. And, and he was a, he was a genuine guy. There are other people that their only version of prayer uh, may be that they want to impress God with knowing all the right words, uh, knowing all the, the big syllable, 10 cent words to, to get your thought across. And if, you, if I can impress you with, with all my impressive words as I'm praying out loud, um, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you think I was pretty special? Like I was a good guy, like I knew all my good words. Jesus warns us, he said, you know, God doesn't need to be impressed by your words. He knows all the languages. He knows all of them. In fact, if you read Romans, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even if you're in the middle of prayer and you have an emotion that you can't quite figure out the word for it and you just groan, you're just like, ah, and the Holy Spirit's like, he's mad. And, and then like the Lord knows, the Lord knows that that was your prayer. He, he can interpret all of those things. He, he doesn't need our big words. Sometimes I'll talk to young people and they're like, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't, like, you, Jesse, when you pray, you know all the right things to say. And I, I don't know any of the right things to say. It's not about what you say. That's the secret. The truth is, is that if, if we pray in such a way and we believe that our words are what the, where the source of power is, then it's all on you. It's all on you to pray the right thing. Uh, but a kingdom citizen knows that it's the, it's the listener of the prayer. It's the, it's, the, it's the address to which the prayer is going that the real power is. I may not know the right words to pray for your aunt uh, who has cancer, and you're, you're like torn between should we pray for healing or should we pray for, for like go quickly because we're in a suffering space right now. And, and I, I, as the prayer, don't know the right answer 
But our father does. He's a good God. He will hear us like misarticulate and stumble through all the prayers, messing up people's names. And he's probably just laughing. He's like, bless their heart. They didn't even listen to the prayer request. It was so important to them at the time. But I hear him. I hear him. Because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. I posted a video of my son beating me in Tekken uh, the other day. And to hear him tell the story, it, it, he like jumbles up the words and he mixes it up, but I'm his dad. And so I listen to it with such glee and joy because he can't even get the words out. He's so excited that he beat me at a video game. Uh, I'm his dad. And as his dad, I, I, like, I just listen and I can interpret what he's saying and I love it. Your, your heavenly father, when you pray, he doesn't need you to have all the right words. He doesn't even need you to have fancy words because it's, it's your heavenly father and he loves you greatly. And Jesus says, don't be like them. In verse eight, he says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that true, parents? Even before your kids come and tell you something, you're like, I know you needed extra sleep. I told you you should have studied. That you already knew. Immediately following this, um, Jesus goes into what we call uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If you have a Catholic background, it's called uh, the Our Father. You may know it as the Our Father. I'm actually going to skip it today uh, because I'm trying to cover all of chapter six. Next week, I want to look specifically at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to unpack that together. But for the sake of this conversation, be careful that you don't practice your righteousness before other people so as to be praised by them. Uh, That includes how we spend our money, how we give to the needy. That includes how we pray and how we talk to God. Do we want to do it publicly or do we want to do it secretly? Skip down to verse 16. Now he's going to talk about fasting. Um, we, I don't know, like the only people that I know that fast are like healthy people, right? You do intermittent fasting and you work out a ton and you do like CrossFit. I don't, I don't know a ton of people that do spiritual fasting anymore, but it's still around. And so, uh, I should tell you like what fasting is, um, uh, on the surface, it is to go without food or, 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 or drink or sustenance. Uh, sometimes uh, marriages, you can even read in the New Testament that uh, you'll see some New Testament couples that will fast from romance with one another for a period of time. They will fast from other, other things, but that's, that's what it is. What it is is to go without, but why? Why would they go without the food and the drink? Why would they, why would they fast at all? Um, every time fasting is mentioned in the Old Testament, you have someone seeking extra focus. And you, may, you may be someone trying to seek focus on dealing with grief. You, you, there are instances of someone losing their spouse in the Old Testament, and as a response of the grief, they just go through a season of fasting. Um, there are moments in the Old Testament where a, a couple is going through barrenness, and they want a child, and as a, as a way of magnifying their prayer and focusing their prayer, they would go through a season of fasting. Uh, you see fasting when, when they're in the middle of a very important time. They're about to go to battle and all signs point to, we're going to lose this war. Nothing is going to accomplish this. We don't have the strength to win this war. Only God has the strength to win this war. Let's pray and fast. And so they would fast as a way to focus, which is kind of weird to me because you're like, hey, before you go to battle, maybe eat like a bowl of spaghetti or something like you want to carb up, right? Uh, they would fast to focus on God to force their mind. How many times do we pray? And like in the middle of the prayer, like the commercial changes on the radio. And like, before you know it, you're like off over here and you're thinking about your Christmas list. Like our distraction and our ability to be distracted is greatly obvious when we're trying to focus on God. And people in ancient times, they would fast as a way to force their brain to stay focused. Because every time their stomach growled, it's like a reminder. Ha ha, I am in control of my body, not my body. And I can force myself to focus. And so when Jesus says, and when you fast, 
So as, you know, to focus your prayers on God and to, to focus your mind, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, that, isn't that the most lazy reward there is? This, this guy, he, he is fasting. He is going without food so as potentially to focus his prayers. And he puts on a little makeup to make it look a little bit sicker, right? And kind of like, oh. like, what's wrong with you, Bill? It's like, <laughs> I've been fasting for 12 hours, man. And he's just like, you don't even know the struggles I've been through. You don't even know. You know, like, I, I'm going to wither away any moment. Oh, and, and just puts on this great big show. And Jesus says to Bill and the rest of the people who put on this great big show for fasting, they get their reward. Presumably, they want to get both rewards. They want the credit from the crowd that they're fasting and for their prayers to be focused to God and that God would honor those prayers in that way. And Jesus says, you actually don't get both rewards. You just get the one you went for. And that was the public crowd reward. He says, but I say to you, when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, like, go take a shower, man. Put on some deodorant, wash your face, stand up tall. Someone asks you what's going on. Why do you, why do you look down? It's like, I don't know, could be anything. You just, you just go. But, but that would just mean that it would just be you and God who knew that you were fasting, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's kind of the point. If you want the reward from God, Jesus would instruct us that we have to ignore and refuse the reward from the public and that we can't choose both. And so much of this, we've talked about money. We've talked about praying, which is like asking God uh, for things. We've talked about fasting, which is our focus and our attention. And so much of this, when we worry about the public side of it, it increases in us anxiety it increases in us worried. It increases in us, did you get the message? Don't you see that I'm withering away? I've, I've, gone, I've gone literally 30 minutes without eating. Like I, I, could, I could just faint any moment. Uh, don't, don't you see? And all my energy is worried about whether or not you see me and whether or not you know how righteous I am and whether or not you know my kingdom. And it increases in me worry. I don't think it's an accident that when we skip down to verse 25, Jesus begins telling us that we shouldn't worry so much. I think, I think what we can learn from this, and we'll, we'll unpack this uh, some more here in just a moment, but I think what we can learn from this is that if we decide to choose to do all of our righteous activity in the secret place and not in the public place, we will also decrease in us anxiety and worry, that general angst of whether or not you see me working it out, whether or not you think I'm going to be enough. Here, here's what he says in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? When, anytime the word therefore is put in, this is just Bible study tip. This is anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere you see the word therefore, ask the question, what is the word therefore, therefore? It's there because uh, he's, he's taking all of the information he just gave us and he's saying, therefore, because all these other things I said are true, this other thing is true. Because everything I just said about getting public praise versus private praise, public reward versus private reward is true. Therefore, let me tell you that we don't need to worry so much. 
Worry is, is this plague that, that is just over our entire community. Worry is the thing that keeps the news stations funded. That's why we all turn it on, because they, they, they tell us what to worry about, and we're like, you're right. I didn't even know I was supposed to worry about that. I'm going to worry about that now. And our drive just amps up more and more and more. Before we know it, all we're thinking about, our focus isn't on the Lord, isn't on really ourselves. It's just on the things we're told to, to worry about. I saw a quote from Louis Giglio uh, that he's discussing worry. I love this quote. I want to share it with you. Uh, he says that, that worry wastes the wonder of knowing I am in the Almighty's sight. Isn't that beautiful? It wastes the wonder of knowing that I am in the Almighty's sight. If you've been paying attention through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, have a heavenly father who loves you a great, great deal. And when we worry about the small things, when we worry about what people think about us, when we worry about, you know, do we have enough resources here to get the job done? We're wasting the wonder of knowing we're in the almighty sight. The almighty, the God who loves you like crazy is going to provide for you and is going to meet your needs. And we waste that, that wonder, that, that, that just where you sit back and you're like, how did he do this? We waste it on the energy to worry and to focus on other things. Here's, here's another way of saying that. Worry is problem worship. Worry is worship of the problem. You look at the problem, you stare at the problem, you think about the problem, your focus is on the problem. All attention, red alarm bells on the problem, whatever the problem is. Worry is problem worship, but you weren't designed to worship a problem. You were designed to worship the Lord. And that's why we don't get any satisfaction from it. So it, it seems to me, uh, and I may be overstating it, I haven't really thought it all the way through, I thought about it this morning, I'm going to go ahead and say it, and then you correct me later if I'm wrong. But it seems to me that the same muscle that we flex and we exercise when we worship is the same muscle that we flex and exercise when we worry. It's the same muscle, but it can't do both at the same time. And our choice has to be, in this moment of grief, do we worry or do we worship? In this moment of trial, big decision time, do we focus on the problem and worry and worship the worry, or do we focus on the Lord who provides and worship him who provides answers? We have to make a choice, but the Lord seems to be suggesting we can't choose both. When we try to choose both, we end up on just the warrior. We end up on just the public side of reward. When we decide and we draw a line in the sand, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to focus on the Lord, and I'm not going to focus on the warrior. I'm not going to focus on the public. I'm going to focus on the private, that, that we get that reward instead. Let's finish this chapter out. Verse 26, he says, uh, look, look at the birds. And I imagine there's like a bird flying by as he said this. Like, whoa, 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 look at the birds. Look at them. Would you look at that? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. This is, this is just a fact of nature. I don't know any entrepreneurial sparrows who are like, yeah, I've got this business on the side and uh, I'm saving up in my 401k. It just doesn't happen. And yet the birds live. They just, they're just around. Why? Because God loves them and he provides for them. He says, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do, do you believe that you're of more value than that bird that you saw coming in? I saw a bird fishing one time. It was like up on a, up on like a, uh, it was not a, not a tree. It was like a, 
uh, pier, beam, something, anyway, big beam, like a telephone pole just sticking up in the air. And this bird had a bass up there and was just like feasting on it. It's like, oh, the majesty of the Lord, that's amazing. Like the bird, like, how did you catch that bass? I've been fishing all day. I didn't catch anything. And he got the bass up there and he's just like, he's going to town. It's, I, I see that and I think that bird's just doing his thing, man. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to plan for anything. He's just alive. There's not a worry in the world. He's having, he's having the time of his life. And I'm over here like sweating, like, do I have enough in retirement before I'm 60? I don't know. I don't, by the way, if you want to know. <laughs> Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, which of you by just worrying and focusing on these things, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? That's a good question. Like, what, what, what is the benefit? What do we gain from worry? Do, do I get an extra day of life by focusing on the problems? Actually, scientists have consensusly, that's not a word, uh, they have come to a consensus that no, not only do you not add days to your life, you actually take away days from your life from stress. It just doesn't work out. So you can't add a single hour to your life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory, with all of his money, with all of his resources, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Isn't it true that every good moment you had, every time the job came through the way you wanted, every time the interview landed just right, when you, when you look back on those moments, isn't it true that you see God's hand was moving you through that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked to see like how you ended up in this community, how, how you ended up meeting your spouse? In the moment, you didn't really notice that God was arranging things, but when you look back on it, it was like this happenstance and this coincidence. It's like at some point, mathematically, you're believing in more miracles by not believing that God was ordaining it than just like seeing his hand was providing for you. The Lord, your heavenly father, loves the bird and he loves, the, he loves making the field pretty with flowers, but he loves you so much more. He loves your family more than you do. He loves your kids more than you can imagine loving your kids. And he's there and he hears your prayers. He knows what you're focusing on. And there's nothing in your worry that makes him focus on it more. And he's not worried. He is content and he knows what he's doing. He is, he is worthy of us just releasing our worries too. Because he knows and he's powerful. It says, verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Your, your heavenly father knows you need food, knows you need clothing and knows that you need all the things that you need. He, he knows. But verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If, if we choose to seek the kingdom of God first, and seek his righteousness first, all of these things will be added to us worry-free. That's not bad. You know, before in Matthew, um, in chapter five, uh, you may remember that Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You guys remember that verse? Middle of chapter five. Um, and so, so much of the chapter five was like, let me tell you about your righteousness. Let me tell you about your heart, that your heart has been lying to you about how righteous you are. Um, and then we get to this point, and he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it seems to be the suggestion is stop seeking 
your kingdom, Jesse, and stop seeking your righteousness, Jesse, and showing off your kingdom to the world, Jesse, and showing off your righteousness to the world, Jesse. Instead, I would ask you, the Lord, Jesse, seek my kingdom first. Jesse, when you need to show off a kingdom, don't choose your kingdom. You don't have good retirement. Choose my kingdom. Choose my kingdom. Whenever you need to show off righteousness, you can try to point to your own righteousness, but everybody's going to see that you're a hypocrite, Jesse, because you're not perfect, Jesse. Show off my righteousness instead. If we choose to seek the kingdom of God first and choose to seek his righteousness first, all of the things that we've been worrying about get added to us. And it's a simpler life with less anxiety. Last verse, and then we'll land this plane. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Stop, stop worrying about tomorrow. Why? Why should we stop worrying about tomorrow, Jesus? Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Okay. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, uh, next week we're going to look at the, the Lord's Prayer. And when he says, give us this day our daily bread, the idea is just give me enough to take care of today's problems. Today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow's got enough trouble. If you try to worry today of all the things you have to deal with for the next 10 years before your kids graduate or for the next whatever until you retire, um, uh, you're going to compound the things that you're worried about. And Jesus is like, isn't today enough to just deal with the things that you have today? This isn't a sermon about not planning for the future. Jesus is a big fan of planning for the future. In fact, he ends the Sermon on the Mount about talking about people who don't plan for the future. What, what he's warning us about is when we take all of our plans for the future and the pressure that we see implied in those plans, in the things that we pretend that we're sovereign and knowing that we, we're going to be omnipotent, knowing all the things that are going to be coming that way, we take all that pressure and we live in it today. We live in the junk and the stress of that today. And Jesus is like, that's not for you. I didn't design you for that. I didn't design you for worry worship. I designed you to worship your Father in heaven. And when we do that well, um, we thrive when we don't do that well, we shrivel. And that's not news to most of us in here. Most of us know in my seasons of stress, in my seasons of worry, I shriveled up into nearly nothing and I didn't think there's going to be anything left of me, but my father got me out of it. And this is the path by which he gets us out of it when we choose to focus on him instead of our problems. I want to say a couple of things. Um, remember next week, I'm going to rewind. We're going to look at the uh, Lord's Prayer. I would invite you to maybe read that ahead of time. Um, here's, here's what I want to say, um, based on the totality of chapter six, um, there are rewards with the crowd that you can seek and you can get. There are rewards with the King that you can seek and you can get. Um, but Jesus teaches that we can only choose one of those two options. There's no, there's no path by which you, you play a show for the crowd and you get both the reward from the father and the reward from the crowd. That means that we have to learn to be content in the secretness of our soul going to the Lord in prayer to pray for our spouse without telling our spouse, well, somebody's got to pray for you, huh? You're losing your mind, man. Just secretly, just pray. Secretly, just serve and give to the needy. Secretly, just, just fast to focus your attention on the Lord and to focus your attention on this thing, finding the solution for this thing, um, but to do it in a secret way so that nobody knows about it. The church is criticized over and over again by people who are non-followers of Jesus who look at us because so many of us are so used to practicing our righteousness in public that they just look at us like, you guys are just putting on a great big show. That's why Christians are called hypocrites because we practice our righteousness in public, but then we get caught in private not being righteous. 
And that's not, I mean, that's a, that's a fair criticism of Christianity as a whole. It's not a fair criticism of this church, Carpenter's Way, because, because by the Lord's grace, we seek to serve him. Uh, and and I, I stand behind that I, as I see uh, how we interact. I see, I see a lot of uh, churches, I see a lot of Christian sounding things uh, encouraging us to do the public thing more than the private thing, to live, like how in the world are we going to get the right person in the White House if we don't live our righteousness out in public? Um, I don't know. I think maybe the Lord is sovereign and the Lord is in control. I'm just going to quietly serve him and let him sort it out. I'll vote for who my conscience is to vote for, but I don't have to publicly go out and protest everything. That's, that's just me, uh, but that's that's... It can be private and the Lord move things forward. But we can choose our rewards from the crowd or we can choose our rewards from the king, but we can't choose both. The second thing is this, um, kingdom citizens like you and I, uh, that we're learning uh, to make our repentance public and our righteousness private. Let me explain that. Um, in, in chapter five, when he ends that, um, he talks about the things that we do in public and then criticizes us for the things that are secret in our heart. Uh, so you didn't, publi- you didn't publicly murder anyone, right? But you had anger in your heart secretly. Uh, I need you to know that that should be public, that you should repent of that publicly. Go to your brother who, who you've sinned against when you know there's a transgression. Leave your gift at the altar. This is all chapter five. Go to your brother and make it right. Publicly go to your brother and make right the thing that was secret in your heart. Publicly repent of secret things but secretly practice your righteousness. When we get to chapter six, Jesus would much more prefer that we do all of our righteous acting things in secret. My brother doesn't need to know that I gave to Samaritan's Purse all this money. My brother doesn't need to know that I'm praying for this thing. My brother doesn't need to know that I'm fasting for this thing and me putting on a big show, but I can do those things secretly. So Jesus seems to teach that our preferred ethic is that we publicly repent and privately practice our righteousness. That's a really good metric for how we can move forward, applying the Sermon on the Mount and living this out. And the third thing is this, uh, and I think that this is the key to unlocking the entire uh, bit. So once we realize that Jesus fulfilled the law um, and he's the king, we can seek first his kingdom instead of our kingdom. We can seek first his righteousness instead of our righteousness. If I try to show you off my righteousness, you're going to see very quickly, Jesse doesn't quite measure up to the level upon which you should be like trusting in me as a savior. (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny to me, but you don't know. Uh, So so when we we point to Jesus and his righteousness, uh, you see quickly uh, that he is um, worthy of that. He's worthy of that title. So seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness makes us worry less about building our own kingdom and showing off our righteousness. I think that this is the key to, to not worrying so much and to reducing anxiety in our home. What, what if, what if uh, you know, the Lord is going to work out all of your, your Christmas bills? You just, you just choose to be responsible and you, you prayerfully look for deals and whatever and, and your family has a, a lovely Christmas. What if it turns out that your kids are just as satisfied by Christmas that is 10 times less expensive and less debt uh, as it would be with, with all that extra stress that you went into debt for and all that, you have that like your heart is like in your throat because you know, oh, January, the bill's going to come. I hope, I hope they like that playhouse. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just okay. Maybe all these things that we do in secret, the Lord provides and he meets your needs and there's contentment and there's peace. Because he knows, he knows what you need. Jesus said this, 
Your father in heaven loves you. He'll provide for you. He'll meet your needs. Let's choose to seek him first. Let's choose to seek his righteousness first. And let's try to align our, our focus and our tasks and our money and our prayers and our fasting, all the things that we do for good, let's try to align those to point towards his kingdom first and his righteousness first. And maybe everything falls in line exactly the way that Jesus says that it will. Let me pray for you. Uh, next week, we'll look more closely at prayer. Father, this morning, uh, Lord, we come to you because um, you're worthy and your teaching is so practical to us. Uh, Lord, may you, uh, may you reveal to us things that we're worrying about, things that we're focusing on that we shouldn't be. Lord, give us the courage to lay those down at your feet and to trust your way over our way. Uh, Lord, uh, for, for those of us who, who just, we struggle with building our own kingdom and, and, and trying to prove that we're good enough, Lord, may you give us the courage to lay that down. Choose your kingdom first. Choose your righteousness first. May we live under the shadow of your goodness because um, we, can't, we can't build something that's gonna sustain. Lord, we trust you. Um, we trust your word here. Uh, help us to apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.